Hey Grace Hill, this is Alan. Hope you're doing well. Really glad that you have tuned in to our website or our podcast to listen to this sermon from Sunday, September 2nd. Uh, we lost a few minutes of the recording uh, at our service, and so I'm just going to record that beginning part of the sermon for you now from my office, and then you'll hear it uh, jump over to the live recording from the service. So let me pray for us. I hope this message blesses you, and then we'll jump in. God, we're grateful that as a church, whether we're gathered live together in the Sunday service or through listening on the podcast or the website, that we can together sit under your word. And I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would use it so that we could know you more so that, Lord, our faith would be built up. And, Lord, you would just help all of us to catch the vision that you have given your church. And, Lord, I pray that this morning as we think about how our joy is found in you, that, God, you would help us to believe that joy is not something we can manufacture in this life, but it is something that we experience when we live as you created us to live. And God, we pray that Grace Hill will be a church where people can discover this life-transforming truth. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the third and final week of a short sermon series that we are doing on the vision of Grace Hill Church. And we're very excited for the fall to get started next week because we have a lot of new things getting started at Grace Hill, just new ways to connect to the church and to grow in your faith. And so we wanted to put a foundation to all that we're launching and doing this fall by preaching on the vision that we have as a church. Now, the vision of Grace Hill Church is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. And over the last two weeks, we have been breaking that statement down. So two weeks ago, we studied Acts chapter 2 to explain what we mean when we say that we want to be a church. Uh, the word church is a loaded word. So what do we mean by that? Uh, last week, we studied Acts chapter 17 to explain what we mean when we say we want to be a church for all people. And then this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 to explain what we mean when we say that we want to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. But before we jump into Matthew chapter 13, I, I want to give us a quick reminder of what we learned over the last two weeks, specifically about biblical fellowship and biblical hospitality. Uh, during the first week, we talked about how a true church is marked by a perseverance in biblical fellowship. A church is not just a Sunday morning worship service. It's a group of people who have all things in common because they follow Jesus they have committed to one another, and they give of everything they have for one another. So biblical fellowship is practiced when everyone in the church sees everything that they have, their time, their money, their homes, their skills and talents, as not just their own, 
but is something that God has entrusted to them so that they may love and serve their brothers and sisters in Christ. True fellowship is everyone pouring themselves out so that their brothers and sisters in Christ may flourish in their faith. Last week, we talked about how if we want to be a church for all people, then we need to be a church that also practices biblical hospitality. If biblical fellowship is how we love and serve those that we have all things in common with, then biblical hospitality is how we love and serve those whom we don't have all things in common with. The stranger. The church is not called to mimic our culture who avoid the stranger, who is suspicious of the stranger and just stick to the familiar. No, the church is called to befriend and serve the stranger. People who think differently than them, who live differently than them. And we serve them and we love them so that we can point them to Christ. To invite them into our homes, get to know them, meet their needs, be good neighbors, be good friends. In our increasingly post-Christian context, the evangelistic weapon that we must become skilled at wielding is hospitality, i.e. having people at our dinner table. So biblical hospitality is when we see everything that we have, our time, our talents, our skills, our homes, our dinner tables, our money, as not just our own but it's something that God has entrusted to us so that we may love and serve the stranger. Okay, so we have biblical fellowship, pouring out what I have so that my brothers and sisters in Christ might thrive in their faith. And we have biblical hospitality, pouring out what I have so that my neighbors and the strangers around me might hear the hope of the gospel. And our vision as a church Uh, To be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus is a vision where everyone is giving of themselves out of love for God and for the people around them. But maybe, for some of us, we have a hard time with that vision. It seems that we're so focused on pouring out, so focused on holding loosely to what we have, that We're not talking about being poured into. What about me being fed spiritually? What about my needs being met? What about everything else that I'm trying to juggle in life? Not just church. If all we talk about is pouring out, well, I'm eventually going to run out, right? Well, our desire in prayer as a church is that this would be a place where everyone experiences the life-giving joy that is found in Jesus. But you got to hear this this morning. When we cast this vision of everyone pouring out for others, what can happen in our hearts is the world's method of pursuing joy can clash with where our joy is found. And so the Bible is going to call us to a lifestyle, a radical lifestyle, and our worldly instincts are going to pop up and they're going to say to us, hey, that's crazy. Living that way is not for your joy. If you live that way, it's going to rob you of your joy. The world 
is going to whisper that or maybe even shout that into our ear. But the world's method for pursuing joy clashes with where our joy is truly found. Joy is something that every human being desires at the deepest possible level. It does not matter who you are or what you believe. You have been wired and created by God to desire and pursue joy. God created you for joy. He didn't create you for sorrow. He didn't create you for boredom. He didn't create you for indifference. No, he created you for joy. But see, joy is not this momentary experiential thing. Sure, we can have joyful moments, but when I use the word joy, I am talking about an emotional, spiritual state where you delight in who you are. You delight in what you have. When I refer to joy, I'm referring to that state where one is good. They're good with what they have. They have enough. They're not consumed with what they don't have or what could be. But the world's method for pursuing joy clashes with where our joy is actually found. And if we want to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus, then listen, we cannot be a church. We cannot be people who let the world be our guide to finding joy. No, we have to be the people who point those to where their joy is truly found. And so to help us understand where our joy is found, I want us to read two very short parables from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 13, we get a whole string of parables that Jesus told to teach the crowds uh, up in Galilee and the disciples around him about the kingdom of God. Um, a parable is just a short story, fictional story used to make a point or to communicate a broader truth. So in this case, Jesus is using a parable to teach about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God is king. It's where he rules, where he sets the culture. He's the authority. And as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of God's kingdom. He is our king. And we are called to live this life right here and right now, as if we are in the kingdom of God, holding on to the promise that after this life, we will spend eternity in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is using parables to teach about the kingdom because the ways of God's kingdom clash with the ways of the world. They're completely opposite of one another. And so Jesus used parables to help illustrate these truths that were literally out of this world. And so let's read the first parable here. Um, we're going to read two very short parables. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, just one verse for this first parable. And this is Jesus teaching, and this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So in ancient times, uh, people didn't have safe deposit boxes or banks to put their money and their treasure in to protect it. 
And so if you were a landowner and you had valuables and your country, your land was getting invaded by enemies, what many would do is they would bury that treasure in their fields, in their land that would protect it from looting soldiers. Or if you needed to flee that land, hopefully you could come back and get your valuables out of the ground. And so the scenario that Jesus is illustrating here is someone stumbling upon this treasure that someone buried in the past but never came back to recover. But in order to ensure that this person who found this treasure would be the one who could keep the treasure, and when he pulled it out of the ground, there wouldn't be any sort of dispute on who actually was the owner of that treasure, what he does is he buys the whole field. He becomes the landowner so he could get the treasure out of the ground. Now, the point of the parable is not that this person was able to purchase the treasure uh, in other words, Jesus' point here in this parable is not that the kingdom of heaven can be bought. Rather, the point is that this person sold everything he had so he could possess the treasure. Th this treasure was far more valuable than anything else in the world, and he was willing to surrender everything he had, everything he owned, in order to have the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's so joyful, it's worth giving everything up for. And that's the point of the next parable, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Jesus is still talking. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the point of the parable is not that he was able to get enough money to buy the pearl. No, the point is that this person surrendered everything he had so he could have the pearl. Jesus is saying your joy, everything you long for, everything you crave, everything your soul is searching for, and is not discovered in this world, is found in the kingdom of heaven. And it is worth surrendering everything you have for it. In fact, Jesus says in verse 44 in that first parable that it was in this man's joy that he surrendered everything so he could have the treasure. He was glad to. It was not hard for him to do it. When one tastes the kingdom of heaven, one gladly and joyfully forsakes all so he can have it. Husbands, maybe it's like that moment when your bride, you see her for the first time in that white dress and she comes down the aisle. And in that moment, there's nothing more beautiful and there's nothing you wouldn't give so you could have her. Or I imagine it's like how the Lamonts feel right now holding little Max. It's this treasure that there is nothing in this world they wouldn't surrender so that they could have him. See, in the garden before the fall came, mankind's soul was at rest, joy. Everything was in order. I want you to get this. Everything was in order. And our joy was found in worshiping God, being under his rule, being in his kingdom, right? This, so this is how God designed us. God designed us to have joy in him, in his kingdom. And so when mankind decided to declare independence from God's kingdom, 
they believed the lie that maybe there was even more joy to be found, not with God, but apart from him. They thought maybe it would be better if they rejected God as king and they became the own authority in their lives. This is the fall. Where because of this, God says, then you can leave. He banishes mankind from his kingdom and lets them go chase this wild dream that joy can be found apart from God. That joy can somehow be manufactured or engineered by the world apart from its creator. And so at the fall, everything in the world becomes disordered. Everything was created for the worship of God and to point us to where our joy is found. That is everything being used in its proper order. But when everything is disordered, life becomes chaotic and joy is elusive. And so now, since we have rejected God and have been removed from his kingdom, we no longer look to God for our joy, but we try to use the things of this world to manufacture joy. That's what we do now. Wondering why we're so discontent. It doesn't dawn on us that we're looking to things to bring us joy that were never designed to bring us joy. This is why the kingdom of God is like finding a treasure and surrendering everything you have in this world to possess it. Because when you truly discover where your joy is found in relationship to God, and you realize that all your efforts to manufacture joy in this world have been futile, the things of this world simply lose their value. They lose their priority. You get to a point where you go, oh, he's the treasure. You can have it all. I have found true joy. Every decision you make is a decision to pursue joy. It's just how God made us. Every decision we make is a decision to try and find and pursue joy. So with every decision, you are either, you're doing one of two things. You are pursuing joy where you were created to have joy. So in relationship to God, And all the things of this world that you possess are used and prioritized for God's purposes. Or you are pursuing joy through trying to manufacture it through the things of this world. And you're abusing those things. Expecting them to provide you joy when they never will. So, for example, all of us, in some way have fallen into the belief that you can manufacture joy with money. That wealth, financial freedom, insecurity, luxury, a no-restraint kind of lifestyle will bring joy in your life. But to everyone who has gained wealth, it seems that there's, not, there's never an amount where there's like the threshold. It's like once you hit that, that's joy. Or it's interesting when you read these articles about the you know, the Powerball winners who, they become, you know, they win hundreds of millions of dollars overnight like that. It's like things we dream of, and they talk about how it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. Because when you use something to manufacture joy that was never designed to produce joy, it actually does the opposite. It brings pain. When we're convinced that we have found a treasure that will bring the joy our souls long for, what we're going to do because God wired us this way is forsake all to have that treasure. We'll put it all into the center of the table. 
When we believe that's gonna bring me joy, then I'm willing to pursue it and forsake everything else. But if that treasure does not deliver joy, then I've lost everything. Money doesn't produce joy. To use it that way, it's out of order. Rather, money is a tool that God gives us to bring him glory and to do his work, right? So all things are to the praise of his glory. That's in order. That's actually how money contributes to your joy. Money can contribute to your joy if it's used in order. If it's used in the way that God has called you to use it. So if God were to say, hey, I need you to give it all away. It's one of those things where you go, you know what? My joy is not found in money. It's found in him. Give it away. Because God called me to. Money contributes to our joy when we use it for God's purposes and his glory. That's in order. Uh, We could talk about sex and relationships in the same way. If we look to sex or relationships to manufacture joy, you'll be sorely disappointed and a lot of other people will get hurt too. Nothing will draw you into the belief that just a little more, just someone a little more attractive, just an experience a little more exciting, just something a little more romantic You know, that's when I'll have my joy. Nothing will lure you in with this continued lie that joy is found here if you just keep going a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper like sexuality will. It's out of order. It doesn't bring joy. It brings brokenness. It will make you do things you never thought you'd do. Sex and romantic relationships are not where your joy is found. Rather, these things are good gifts from God for us to absolutely enjoy for his purposes according to his boundaries because it was his idea and it's all to the praise of his glory. So that's in order. That's when those things contribute to your joy. So it's for your joy if God has called you to singleness right now. It's for your joy that God is calling you right now to keep working on the marriage and not give up. It's for your joy that God has given us boundaries in how we express our sexuality. Right? Insert anything from the world, and if we use it to manufacture joy, it's out of order. It's an abuse because it's all to the praise of his glory. We hold it loosely in our hands because He is our treasure. So it could be your career. It could be power and influence. It could be your leisure time. It could be your Netflix time. Anything, right? Listen, I even think we can manufacture joy trying to use our faith. There's a difference between trying to find joy in your faith and getting joy from the object of your faith. What I mean is that we can try and manufacture joy through our religious works. We, you know, um, all of those things are to the praise of his glory, but I think sometimes we can use them to the praise of our glory, to be seen, to be applauded. Maybe we do them to earn our salvation from God when he's told us it's all of grace. All of that is out of order. The The spiritual disciplines of our faith are to create intimacy 
with the one whom your joy is found. Not so that you can get a gold star on the chore chart, right? Our, our joy is found in our God, not in our works to please God. Your Bible reading, church going, prayer, and community service, or whatever else it is, they contribute to your joy when they are done so you can be close to him and to the praise of his glory. Because he is where our joy is found. So let me ask, where are you trying to manufacture joy in the things of the world? What's the thing you're not willing to give up so you can have the treasure? What's the one thing where you say, God, I am all in except for this? You know, what in this world has gotten you into the habit of saying, I need that? I need this, right? Because if there's something in this world where you go, this is what I need, I can't go on, I can't have joy without this, that just might be the thing that you are expecting to manufacture joy in your life, and it's probably the thing that's robbing you of it. And so let's go all the way back to the beginning of this message where I talked about how our vision for this church is that everyone here would prioritize biblical fellowship and biblical hospitality. Pouring ourselves out so that our brothers and sisters in Christ might be built up in their faith and so that those who don't know Christ might hear the hope of the gospel. And maybe the hold up to this vision in our hearts is the concern with the emphasis on everyone pouring out. And I warned us that what can happen in our hearts is the world's method of pursuing joy can clash with where our joy is really found. See, the world's method of manufacturing joy, albeit unsuccessfully, is by being focused on self. What can I get to meet my needs and my desires? How can I be poured into? How can I be filled up? What would make me most happy and fulfilled? You know, the things that I have, they are mine to be used on my terms for my joy. But the kingdom of heaven, this treasure that is worth more than anything that you have, it doesn't operate that way. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew chapter 16. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world reads that and goes, makes no sense, does in God's kingdom. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? He spends his entire life trying to manufacture joy in the world. What will it profit him if he does that and forfeits his soul? Listen, your joy is found in pouring your life and everything that you have out of love for God and love for the people around you. That's where your joy is found. Your joy is found in living a lifestyle of biblical fellowship and biblical hospitality. The sacrifices that it takes to live this way, they are worth it. And the reality is this, Jesus is our example. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one to two. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, looking back to Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. All these things in the world that we're trying to produce joy out of, let's lay those aside. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, verse 2 the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In what world does it make sense for Jesus to look at the cross and see joy? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross so that we might be forgiven of our sin, so that we may have joy for all of eternity. Jesus poured himself out so that we may have joy. And in his obedience to the will of God, he received joy. Guys, this is the treasure that out of sheer grace and love and mercy, God has purchased you through his son, Jesus Christ. He has made you his own. Jesus took the sin that you committed and he paid the penalty for it on the cross. Jesus takes his righteousness and gives it to you so you stand before God as holy and accepted and righteous and he's proud of you and he delights in you. Jesus has secured your identity. He's brought you into his family and he says, you are never gonna be kicked out again. No matter what you do in this life, you are now mine forever. You have the promise that you will spend all of eternity in my kingdom. You'll never lose that. That's the treasure. It's the grace of God and forgiving us of our sin, giving us a status of being adopted into his family and giving us a secure future in his kingdom. That's the treasure. We're his. And so when we looked at the things of this world, the things that we have, our possessions and the things we spend our life doing, and we look at all of these things, and we compare it to the treasure that we have in Christ, we, that's how we deny ourselves. That's how we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, that's when we see the treasure and go, all of this is worth surrendering to have that. Everything I have is worth surrendering so that I can have the treasure. None of this contributes to my joy. I could lose everything and my joy would not be hit at all. I would always have it because I have the treasure. I don't need the things of this world. See, it's our joy in Jesus that allows us to live lifestyles of radical fellowship, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and radical hospitality, being on mission so the people of this world can see and find the treasure. And it's spending our days and our resources doing this that multiplies our joy. I mean, when everyone in the church is pouring themselves out, For everyone, everyone gets filled. It's when everyone is concerned about being filled that everyone is left empty. I mean, if you don't want to be bothered and practice biblical fellowship, 
If you don't want to step out of your comfort zone and practice hospitality, you're believing that only being focused on self will manufacture joy, and it's a lie. If we want to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus, this means we have to point people to where their joy is really found. That's the mission, to point people to Jesus, because it's Jesus where people can find reconciliation with God, forgiveness of their sins. It's Jesus where we find the treasure that is worth surrendering everything for. It's Jesus where people can be saved from the restless work of trying to manufacture joy in the world. The futility of chasing joy and only getting brokenness. I was talking to my wife on the phone a couple of days ago. She's in Bulgaria with our team. And she uh, met these missionaries who are over there who are serving um, in these various Muslim villages across the country of Bulgaria. And what they want to do is share the hope of the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ in these Muslim villages. But the challenge in those areas is that when a Muslim converts to Christianity, they lose everything. Their family disowns them. They lose all their money. They lose their business. They lose their property. They are shunned. Their life might be in danger. I mean, they lose everything. In the eyes of the world, for a missionary to go and say, I am here so that these people will see Christ and I want to see people come to know Christ. In the eyes of the world, that's an impossible task. Why would anyone convert over? Why would anyone see Jesus and say, I'm going to forsake everything that I have for him? There are so many reasons not to go do that work. Except that the gospel is true. Jesus is real. He's the treasure. And he's the treasure that when you taste it, you'll surrender everything for it. That's why those missionaries are there. And that's why they're optimistic. God has called this church to give our lives the task of pouring out ourselves and pointing people to this treasure of being a place where all people can find joy in Jesus. And so I just I want to end this time now. I want to spend time praying together that God would use us in this way and that we would see this vision of, of biblical fellowship and biblical hospitality come to fruition and we would see it through unmistakable joy in our lives and as we point people to the treasure. So let me pray for us as a church that God would work in us in this way. Let's pray. Father, as I think about these missionaries who are over in Bulgaria ministering into these Muslim villages. Lord, I, first of all, we pray that you would use them to bring many to Christ. 
But Lord, I can't imagine the, the feeling of going up against all the things that this world has to offer when it comes to trying to share the hope to these people in these villages. Sometimes, Lord, I'm discouraged by that even here in a place where we are free to preach the gospel, in a place where there are many, many people who do follow you. And Lord, it even seems in our culture, we live in a wealthy place, we live in a place that's very busy and distracted, and Lord, it seems like that's so much to go up against when it comes to trying to point people to the treasure. But Lord, I pray that we as a church would be faithful in this. What you have called us to do is point You haven't called us to make the treasure more beautiful. It doesn't need it. You haven't called us to somehow try to bait and switch people into believing in it. You've called us to point, to faithfully share the hope that's within us. And Lord, it is the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the treasure of you yourself, Lord, that will cause people to surrender everything to follow you. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this church, that we would be faithful, Lord. We'd be faithful to serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve our neighbors and the strangers around us whom we do not know, and that, Lord, we would be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. Would you do that work in us? Would you help us to see fruit in it? Help each one of us to be faithful in our part. But Lord, I also pray that each one of us would rest in the grace that you have given us. Lord, we can't point people to joy if we're not a people who have found true joy. And Lord, our world teaches us that if we want joy, we have to work harder. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you tell us, no, you need to rest so, Lord, help us to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ in who we are as your sons and daughters. And, Lord, we pray that as we close this time in worship that you would be honored and glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.